We're just going to go right into our series. If you've missed any of the past few weeks, we're doing a series on Joseph, a deep dive into the story of Joseph. We've covered all sorts of topics. I think this is week five that we're on, and I think it's very appropriate what we're talking about this morning, especially on Mother's Day, because what we're talking about this morning is what mothers have to deal with all the time, and that is the phrase, it's not fair, all right? It's not fair that they got one more fry in their Chick-fil-A you know, combo meal than I did. It's not fair that they got two more seconds on the iPad than me. It's not fair, mommy. It's not fair. It's not fair. Ah! Right? All like 90% of probably parenting is dealing with it's not fair from our kids because kids want fairness. They, They really don't want equality. They want more than what the other sibling has. But at worst case, they want it to at least be fair. And as we grow older, I'm not sure that ever really leaves us, if we're being honest. We want fair in our life. We want things to be fair. And when it's not, we complain. Rarely do we ever utter the words, it's not fair, especially to the Lord, and follow that with, so do a work in me, Jesus. (laughs) Right? It's not fair, Lord. What are you trying to do in me right now? It's, it's not fair. Fix it. What's wrong with them and that and the other? It's never about ourselves in terms of God trying to do something in us. We want the problem solved. But here's the thing, y'all. There's nowhere, and I know you've heard this before, but there's nowhere in the Bible that says that life is going to be fair. All right? Blessed is he who follows after me, for his life will then be fair. All right? It doesn't say that. There's nothing about that. If anything, Jesus says the complete opposite. He says, in this world, you will find trouble. All right? You're going to find things that are unfair to you. How do we deal with it? What do we do in those moments when all we want to do is complain and be like these little kids, a lot of that we saw in the video, and just scream, it's not fair, and want everything to be fixed in our lives rather than look at ourselves or what God's doing in us? And it's not fair. And listen, I, 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 I want to begin this morning by all of us understanding that what you are walking through might not be fair. It might be incredibly unfair. And what we're talking about is not to trivialize those things in any way, shape, or form. I believe there's many of us in here that are facing challenges that on paper are so unfair to what we've been doing and what we've been trying in our lives. And it's not fair But we can't just scream that to the clouds and expect anything to change. We have to deal with it. And we have to live in it. And how do we do that? What are the instructions? And I believe Joseph is is such an amazing example. He's one of many in the Bible because life isn't fair to all of us. So, of course, the Bible being about people is going to show all sorts of different examples of unfair living. Okay? So let's understand that as well. It's not just you. It's not just me. All of us deal with unfair circumstances in our lives. Okay, so let's look in Genesis 39. We're just gonna pick up right where we left off last week. Potiphar's wife has been tempting Joseph, the Bible says, day after day, trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. And he tells Potiphar's wife, he says, no, I can't do that. It would be a sin against God. And this is where it picks up. Finally, Um, he's left alone with her. She approaches him this last time. And in verse 12, it says, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, 
Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. Okay, so let's just, we have to appreciate the scenario here in the context of everything that is going on with Joseph to truly understand the unfair position that he is in. And what we can gather from these few verses tells us all we really need to know. And if we go back to last week, let's start there with Potiphar. Because what Joseph has found himself in is in the middle of a bad marriage, okay? Joseph is a pawn in all that is going on between Potiphar and his wife. If you remember what we talked about last week, it said that, that Potiphar, uh, he favored Joseph and he gave everything in the house was under Joseph's care. The only thing that Potiphar cared about was what was for dinner later that night. That was his only concern in everything in the house. Okay, it doesn't say that the only thing that Potiphar cared about was what was for dinner and how his wife was doing. Okay, he didn't care about his wife. She was in the house. All he cared about was the food. So there, there's evidence, one, that things were not going well in this marriage. All right, that's from Potiphar. Now let's look at his wife, because it says a lot here. When she attempts to sleep with Joseph, and he says no, and he runs, you know who she blames? She blames Potiphar. Listen, she says, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. So as she's embarrassed by this rejection, and all of these slaves, all of these servants are standing around her, what she does in that moment is throw her husband under the bus, all right? So now there's evidence, too, that things are not going well between her and her husband. And here is Joseph, this young, handsome, successful slave in their house who now has all the authority. And so she's looking at Joseph, and she's approaching Joseph as a way to say, husband, husband, look at me. All right, I'm gonna be drawn to this successful person and maybe if you just get a whisper of what we've done, then maybe you'll actually start paying attention to me. She doesn't care about Joseph. She's trying to get her husband's attention here. And since she's not getting any of his attention, she's going to go to the person that looks most like him, which is the person with the most authority, the most power, the most success in the house. And she's gonna try and sleep with him. And now... He's told her no, too. So she's feeling doubly rejected right now. And she's feeling exposed. And here's, listen, this is just my brain. Okay, this isn't in any commentary that I read. But I just have to wonder, y'all, if this is the first time that she's done this. Because it says right here, it says she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. So she's got all of these male servants that as soon as she says something, they come a-running to her. And I don't know, listen, again, this is just conjecture. This is me just thinking about what's in the scripture here. But I'd be willing to bet that some of these men, if she was looking for affection in some way and said, hey, sleep with me, they were probably like, okay, I'll do it, right? Not everyone's like Joseph. Most people aren't. Most men aren't, especially to powerful women, so here, all these men come running, and now 
Here they are. And I have to also just go a little further. Let's think outside the box a little bit more. As people then are just like people now. And what do people now like to do? They like to gossip. They like to tell stories about what is going on. I don't know if any of y'all ever watched Downton Abbey. All right, I can only get through a little bit of it. Um, but man, all that, all that show was about was the people in the house talking about the people that they were working for in the house, right? And a lot of times vice versa. And I feel like there's a big Downton Abbey situation going on right here. All right? Maybe not with the same accents or the gloves and the tuxedo and all that. Like, hey, you know, whatever they sounded like. But I think that as, as Joseph is in this house, and it says how Potiphar saw the Lord on Joseph. We talked about that last week, you know? I think there was so many other people in the house that maybe they couldn't put their finger on just what was it about this guy? But they knew something was different. And so when Potiphar's wife says this about Joseph, I think some of them were like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not the guy that we know. And the other ones go, you know, I actually heard last week, uh, she came onto him a little bit and he said no. And then it's all over the house, right? Don't you think that's a pretty good possibility that that happened in this house? Because again, it said this is not the first time. Day after day after day, and all it takes is one person listening around the corner who might not have been in the room to hear what she said to him, and then it spreads like wildfire all over the house. And now everybody there knows that Potiphar's wife is going after Joseph, a Hebrew slave, and he is telling her no. Wow. So what do we have here? We have a marriage that isn't good. And we have people in the house that hear this and more than likely, I would say 99% sure, don't believe what they are hearing. All right? Then it goes on to say, verse 15, when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband, Potiphar, came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me. So she's blaming him again, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Okay. This is where I like to think about the words that the Bible uses when it's telling us a story. Right, It says that she told him her story, right? And then it goes on to say again that Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story. It doesn't say that she told him what happened, right? It says a story. And I just think that's interesting because it's like, it's almost the Bible is telling on her in this way as it's retelling it, you know? Yes, this made up tale that she's saying, Right? But here, here's, here's another part about this is that it's so important. It's to rem remember who Potiphar is. Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh. He is the captain of the guard. Again, Charles Swindoll describes his job as the chief executioner in all of Egypt. Now, let's just put ourselves in Potiphar's shoes for one second here and consider what your reaction might be if you hear that this slave 
tried to rape your wife and you actually believed it, what would your reaction be to that? Because if I'm the chief executioner and I have all this money, I have all this power, I have all this authority to do really whatever I want and I find out that a slave has tried to rape my wife, I'm doing a whole lot more than throwing him in prison. I'm chopping off his head, gone, see ya, especially when no one's gonna miss him or even know who he was in the first place. Potiphar has every right, every opportunity to kill Joseph for what he has just heard. And he doesn't do it. He throws him in prison. And we're, we're gonna come back to this whole thing in a while. But he throws him into prison. Why? Because he didn't believe her. He doesn't believe the story that she is telling him. Because Potiphar knows how she is. Potiphar knows how Joseph is. And he's able to weigh the two. He says, no, this doesn't add up to me. But he's stuck. He's got to do something to protect not his wife, but his own reputation. This reeks of just, I mean, when we understand this story, if you don't get mad on behalf of Joseph, you're not reading it right. It's infuriating what Joseph is caught in the middle of. You say, but James, the Bible says that he's furious. Yeah, he is. It says that he, he Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story. He was furious because he had to put his meal ticket in prison. Joseph was doing everything right. Potiphar had full trust in him and all he cared about was what's for dinner and now his wife ruined it by making up this story and now he's got to do something about it. Maybe if Potiphar paid attention to his wife and was a good husband, this may never have happened, but that's beside the point. The point is, Joseph is caught in the middle of something that has nothing to do with him. And he's the one that is punished. That's not fair! That's not fair, God! This isn't even about me. I did everything right. I said it would be a sin against you. I ran. I didn't sleep with her. I gave you all the credit in the house. Not only has my mom died, my dad been a bad dad to me. My brothers hate me, sell me into slavery. I get put in this house and I don't know anybody or speak the language. But finally I work my way up and now I'm in prison for what? A bad marriage? That's not fair. That's not fair. Sound familiar in any of our lives? This has nothing to do with me, God. I did everything right. And yet I'm the one getting punished? Me? I don't get it, God. It's not fair. You're not the only one. You're not the only one that this has happened to. You won't be the last, that's for sure. <sighs> we hate being, being treated unfairly because, well, it's not fair. But here's the thing, y'all, and I'm going to preface this point by saying this might be the hardest thing that I've ever preached on in the short time that I've been preaching here at Beaches Chapel. The reason that Joseph was able to just stay in that moment, and he, here we haven't even talked about this. This is the most remarkable thing about Joseph. In all of it, he didn't say a word. 
He didn't say, at least the, the Bible doesn't record it, so I'm gonna assume that he didn't say anything. He just stood there while this woman lied about him, while all of his peers and coworkers and subordinates knew that she was lying about him and didn't say a word about it. None, not one of them stood up and said, Potiphar, that's not true. I, I heard that didn't happen. Not one came to his defense. Didn't say anything to Potiphar when Potiphar knew that Joseph didn't do anything. Think about that. He just stood there in silence and let it happen. Let himself get thrown into jail for something that he was not even involved in that had nothing to do with him. And he stood there, mouth shut. Does that sound familiar? A little bit like Jesus? Jesus gets accused of something he didn't do. Pilate, we're going to read about this in a minute. Says, I don't think he's guilty. Gets crucified anyway. Never says a word. Joseph and Jesus have something in common in this moment. And this is the hard part. This is the thing that is a, it's a big one. Joseph was more concerned and was in, in put more identity and everything that he was into trusting God. He cared more about that, about trusting God than he cared about being justified before men. That's a big one. And if we can sit there and go, yeah, totally, sure. Like, I don't think you really get what I'm saying. How many times have we gone on Facebook and we just see people with, with rants that don't agree with what we believe in and all we want to do is... Yeah, I'm going to show them. I'm doing a typewriter here, old school. <laughs> Apparently, you can get on Facebook with a typewriter from the 80s. <laughs> Sorry, I was in the moment. But we, as soon as we hear or see someone that disagrees with us, what do we want to do? We want to justify ourselves. And really, God's saying, just leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone. I can't, God, I gotta say something. Because we wanna be justified before men more than we care about trusting in God. And that is a doozy. And that is what Joseph was able to do. It's how he was so successful in his whole life. His passion and his purpose was not based on men. It was on who God was in his life. His, his purpose was not from the success that he had in the house. It wasn't from how good looking he was. It wasn't what other people thought of him. It was that the Lord was with him no matter where he went. And so they can say whatever they want about me. I know the truth and so does God. And so that is what I'm gonna put my hope in. And I, that's how I'm gonna trust, not what they say about me. Can we do the same, y'all? It's tough. It is really, really hard when other people lie about, and I'm talking about a whopper of a lie. Like, that's not even close to the truth. What are you talking about? And what happens? Y your ears get hot. You're so mad. Because they lied about you. And they lied about me. And that's not fair. God's saying, it's okay. I got it. I got this. And we sing this song all the time and we, I love it. We sang it at our last night of worship. This is how I fight my battles. You know, this is, God, this is how I fight my battles. I worship you. I worship you. And every time we do that song, 
it like the roof just blows off the place. And I think it's because in those moments, we're letting it go. We're letting the battles that we've been trying to fight, that trying to get justified before men, we're letting it go. We're surrendering it to God and we become lighter and we're able to worship him again. But the problem is when we leave church, we assume those battles, you know, the, the beauty of following God and surrendering our lives to him is that we, along with our lives, surrender the battles that we face too. The battle that Joseph was facing in that moment was not his to fight. And so you know what he did? He didn't fight it. He didn't fight it. He just let it go. And so that's what we have to learn how to do. Listen, listen to David's words in 1 Samuel 17 when he's fighting Goliath. It says in verse 47, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Here's the catch. But not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. We want God to be judge, jury, and executioner. We, oh, when we're treated unfairly, we want that sword and spear. We want it so bad. I do. God, you see? Right on him. Bring the sword and spear. Bring the army. Let's go. Right? Show them, Lord, how I've been treated unfairly. Be my justifier. Oh, I want that sword and spear so bad. But what does David say? Listen, the battle is the Lord's and he's going to deliver us. Not by the sword and spear. Ah, oh, come on. Please, just this once. Because the thing, the truth is, the people that are lying about us, that are causing us pain, do you know that the Lord loves them exactly the same that he loves you? And he wants to do a work in them, just like he wants to do a work in you. Because the battle that you're facing, believe it or not, is not all about you either. It's about all the other people as well. <laughs> Joseph was put in prison because the lesson in the preparation time wasn't over yet. Those dreams that God gave Joseph when he was a teenager back in Canaan were real, but he wasn't ready for them yet. And so check this out. Though Joseph might have looked like a pawn in Potiphar and his wife's marriage, really? Potiphar and his wife were a pawn in God's plan for Joseph's life, Okay. And so maybe we just need to consider when we say, God, this isn't fair, that we just think, wait a second, maybe God's doing something bigger than I could ever imagine right now and is using these circumstances to do a work in me so that the dream that he's put in my heart will be fulfilled one day. Does it look the way that I thought it would look? No. But thank God for that. So he's doing something else. And so as much as they thought they were in control, God was in control the entire time. We have to understand, though he doesn't use the sword and the spear as much as we want, and it doesn't happen in the timing that we want, and in the way that we want, God is in it. And there is always, always, always a purpose. If we are walking with him and we are getting treated unfairly, or so we would think. There is a purpose in it. There is a reason for it all. God is not going, oh, I didn't see that coming. He's never like that. John 16, 33, going back to what we were talking about earlier. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. 
Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We, we, you know, if we've talked about that verse before, we, we talk about how it says that we will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I will overcome the world. But what it says before that is so important too. It says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. In me is where you find your peace. Because if we, if we cry out to the Lord all the time and we say, God, this isn't fair, this isn't fair, and he just fixes it, you know where we're gonna start looking for our peace? In fairness of life. But what we have to understand is peace does not come in fairness. It just doesn't. As much as we like to think it does, it will not. We will, be, we will find something else that is not fair. We find something else to complain about. But if we can understand that peace comes from Jesus, then the things that aren't unfair in our life shrink down some. And that is what is so remarkable about Joseph in this story. He's treated so unfairly, but he holds on to his peace because his peace is never changed. The circumstances might have been, the accusations might have been, but God was still the same. So his peace never changed. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I hope so. Let's have the band come on back up. And we're going to close with communion this morning. And I, I get that this is a, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but this is, a hard, this is a hard and challenging word for me. To be able to let go when we're not treated fairly. When, when life is just beating us up in, in God, I've done nothing to deserve this. If anything, I've actually lived a better life. I've done everything that you've told me. I've been obedient and still, and all we wanna do is scream out, this isn't fair. It is really hard to continue to trust God and not have to be justified before men, especially, especially when we're lied about. That one hurts. Joseph had the whole house entrusted to him. Everything he did, he was successful at. And he gave God the glory for all of it. And what does he get in return? Thrown in jail lied about. His situation actually goes from bad to worse. It's not fair. Here's, here's what I want to do right now. Because I know, I know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think, I know that there are many of us in here, many of us watching online this morning that can say, that's me. I can, I can, I can name five different things that I can say it's not fair. You wanna hear them? And here's why. And it might not be fair. And I'm not gonna argue that it is. Very well, you could be walking through something that just isn't fair. And there's no other way to put it. And you've been screaming it out loud or maybe just in your heart and you've you've started to build up a wall against God. You're like, what's the point anymore? I'm doing everything I can and nothing's changing. If anything, it's getting worse. So God, I don't get it. This morning, I want us to return to the Lord in whatever you're walking through. I want us to return to that first love and say, God, in this moment, right now, we're not gonna worry about tomorrow. I'm not even gonna worry about later today, but right now where I sit, 
I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm not going to worry about what was said about me. I'm not going to worry about any accusation or whatever it might be. Right where I'm sitting right now, I'm going to choose to trust you because here's the thing, y'all. The ultimate unfair life was Jesus. The ultimate unfair life. And we can complain all the time that life's not fair. What we need to do in those moments is remember, wait a second, how Jesus lived his life and what happened to him, now that's not fair. And who did he do it for? Me. This very same person who neglects Jesus, who forgets about him, who puts him down a notch all the time in my own life? Yes, me. And he did that all for me. Now that is not fair, but he did it anyway. Genesis 39, the story goes on. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held and there he remained. Has a finality to it, right? There he remained. It's like not just for a day or two or or for a little while until this blows over. No, this is it. This is where you're at, Joseph. You're in prison. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, and this is my favorite part, and showed him his faithful love. Joseph was treated unfairly, so unfairly, and God was with him in all of it. And not only was he with him, but he showed him his faithful love. John 19, one through six says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now. But here we check this out. But understand clearly, listen, understand clearly, everyone, that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. That makes no sense. If that happened today, there would be the biggest uproar. Judge says, not guilty. We want to kill him anyway. Okay. Whatever you want. But just just so you know, I find him not guilty. We don't care. Okay, kill him. That's the story of Jesus' death. That's the story of being treated unfairly. When you live a perfect life, perfect life, not a single sin, you do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. You give up everything. You give up your family. You give up a family of your own. You give up living in a home and you become homeless, traveling the world, just so you can get people to believe in you and go to heaven. They say, nah, we want to kill you instead. That is unfair. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he kept his mouth shut the entire time because he trusted God's plan more than being justified before men. And what did that earn him? Death. It earned him resurrection and it earned us a seat at the table in heaven for the rest 
of our lives. Now tell me, is that fair? It is not. But that is God's faithful love to each one of us. Just like it it talks about God being faithful to Joseph in the prison, he's faithful to us. We're all in our own prison one way or another. We live in this world. We're in the prison of sin and God says, it's okay. It's okay. I am with you and my love will not fail. I have a plan for you. Don't worry about what everyone else is saying. Don't worry about the lies that are being spread around about you. I see you. I know the truth. And listen, y'all, if God knows the truth, I, I know this is cliche and we can shake our heads, yes, amen, on Sunday mornings and go out and it's hard. But if God knows the truth, that really, 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 really is all that matters. I promise you, that's all that matters. And he sees you and he is with you and his love for you is faithful and it is true. And we know that because Jesus lived the most unfair existence so that we could trust in God more than men. Amen. 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 Let's take communion this morning. Before we do that, (coughs) excuse me, I want to just take a second again to leave space for anyone that has not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Listen, here at Beaches Chapel, we believe this is a, this is a home for all to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that all mean? It means every single person, all right? No matter how you came in, no matter what you believed, no matter what you lived like yesterday or even this morning, as you come in, as you turn on this, this message from home, God's not worried about what happened five minutes ago, five days ago, or five years ago. He's worried about right now. And he's calling out to you, saying, trust in me. I died for you too. You don't have to battle this fight anymore. It is not yours to fight. It is not yours to fight. He died for you because he loves you and he knows that we can't do it ourselves. Beaches Chapel, we're a church that says, I need Jesus. That's it. I can't do it myself. I need Jesus. So let's just take this moment. And if that's you, all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. Come into my heart and be Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for your body that was broken, Lord, for enduring that unfair death where even Pilate himself, the man over your trial, says two times, I find him not guilty. And you still let it happen. You could have stopped it at any moment. And you stayed on the cross and you finished that work that God charged you with. So that when life gets unfair for us, we don't have nowhere to turn. We have you to turn to. We can say, God, life's not fair. I need you right now. I need you, Jesus. Help me. Help me. And just as we read about Joseph, you will be with us. So will your faithful love. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your body that was beaten and broken and bruised and nailed to a cross, but that also rose again on that third day 
that death was not the end. It was just the beginning for you and for us as well. How we take this bread right now, remembering the sacrifice you made, enduring that unfair death. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for your blood that was poured out. That makes us clean every day, Lord. We can run to you when we forget messages like this, Lord, where we care more about what people think about us. We get so consumed in trying to be treated fairly or justified before men. And we put you on the shelf, God, and we start to fight these battles all on our own. And we start to just live life, God, without you. And we start going this way and that way and the other way and fall into old sins, Lord, or whatever it might be. God, we know that we can, run, we can just turn and in a moment we can come to you and say, Father, forgive me. And your blood makes us new in that very moment. You don't hesitate. You don't wait. You don't try and make us prove anything, God, or, or finish this laundry list of items before you forgive us, Lord. You are quick and faithful to forgive us. You wash us with that same blood that was spilled at the cross, Lord. God, we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful, Lord, for your blood. God, I just pray right now, Jesus, that as we, as we take this cup in just a second, that, that there's anything, Lord, that we need to repent of. Is there anything that we need to lay before you and say, God, forgive me, that we would do it in this moment, Lord. We wouldn't wait. We wouldn't hesitate, Father, but we would run to you, a loving, patient, faithful God, and say, here it is, Lord, forgive me. And we would know full well that you will because your blood is stronger. It's stronger than anything that we could ever do to sin against you. You conquered sin, Father. So Lord, if that's in us, God, I pray, Jesus, that you would bring it to our hearts and in our minds right now, Lord God. And we would ask you to forgive us. Thank you for your blood that washes us clean every single day. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're a great God. You are worthy of our praise. And as we sang earlier, and we're about to sing again. All our lives, Lord, all of our lives, you have been faithful. All of our lives, you have been so, so good. When we feel like we've been treated unfairly, Lord, you have been faithful. When we feel like we've been treated unfairly, Lord, and lied about, Lord, you have been so, so good. And so God, as we sing that this morning, we sing it as a declaration of faith. God, we sing it in praise to you that we would return to that belief, God. Not the lies that we, that we think that we're all alone and our circumstances are too much because it's unfair. But God, we're gonna sing out with everything that we are that all of our lives, well, you have been faithful in all of our lives. You have been so, so good. Let's stand up this morning and let's worship him for our good God. You are a wonderful God. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Father. Hallelujah. Let's just give a shout of praise right now. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. Yes, Jesus. You are a good God.